Welcome to Church 213. We're so glad you're tuning into our new series titled Tools of the Trade, where we'll be going through some of the most popular Bible verses and equipping you with the tools to understand them and use them. Thanks for listening. The Good Inheritance. So today is the last message in our series that we've been covering over the last nine weeks. Man, it went by fast, didn't it? And that's a great place to say yes. Yeah. It went by fast. Uh, nine weeks, tools of the trade. And what I've been doing, Lord willing, is slow walking us through some proper use of some of, uh, some of the Bible's most popular verses. And I opened the series in week one telling a story of a kid named Jimmy Bozart. Nod your head if you were here. You remember Jimmy Bozart. Jimmy was a, was a paper boy in the, in the 40s in New York City who found this hollowed nickel that led to the conviction of a Soviet spy named Rudolf Abel. Rudolf was arrested and Jimmy was there. And all of these things happened because Abel misused a tool of the spy trade. And so I use that to kind of introduce the theme of, of, the, of, the, of the series and the fact that we need to understand God's Word and we need to know how to properly use it. Dr. Wayne Grudem said this about using the Holy Scriptures. We better get it right. Because when it comes to using the Bible, we're going to have to give an account one day. We better get it right because people might actually believe us. And eternity is at stake, so we better get it right. So we've been working through the tools of the trade, popular use of, of proper use of popular scriptures. Um, if you want that digital resource, see Pastor Dom. We can get, if you've missed one, we can get all, those, all ten of those for you um, so that you can jam out in the car to, to tools of the trade. Sermon number five. Yeah, man, what are you rocking out to? Church! So the first week, um, you know, we introduced it. And we've covered some things like judge not lest you be judged, Matthew 7. We've, we've talked about Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered, I will be in your midst. What in the world is context of that? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, Philippians 4, 13. And Dom did a great job actually kind of bringing out the context of that. And so today I want us to wrap up this series, wrapping up the series, looking at uh, a verse that is so popular. It's quoted, it's, it's prayed, it's preached, it's posted, it's liked, it's swiped, it's shared. If there were ever a verse to be used in, in Christianese, and that's like the language that Christians speak sometimes. If there was ever a verse in Christianese, y'all, this is it. This is it. And I'm here to tell you, we better get this one right. As your pastor, I need to get it right. Because it's been said, if there is a fog in the pulpit, there's a mist in the pews. So we don't want any discrepancies. We want to see clearly the Word of God for the people of God this morning. Amen? And this is it. Romans 8.28 We know 
that all things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to His purposes. You've seen it, right? Some of you may have a coffee cup. It's got Jeremiah 29, 11 on one side. It's got Romans 8, 28 on the other. You know? And if you pour it in there, the little coffee cup that you pour your cream out of has Philippians 4, 13. Because these are popular. They're, they're, they're around us. They're around our culture. You've heard it. Most of you have said it. And it is fun to quote, isn't it? Man, we just throw it out there. We like to sing about it too. So I want us to say it together. Let's say Romans 8, 28 together. Is it on the screen? There it is. Come on, church. Here we go. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Romans 8, 28. Maybe you just said that with your mouth. But you've questioned that in your heart. At some point in the past. You, you, you might have just said that. But you don't really believe that this morning. That may be where you are. You know, I was thinking about Romans 8, 28. It's a great bumper sticker. When life is going smooth. Isn't it? Man, let's, let's slap that puppy on there and let's drive to, let's, let's drive in Atlanta traffic. But... What about when the bumper sticker gets smashed because the realities of life have, 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 have come, the reality of life has crashed in on you? What happens then? What happens to that bumper sticker? What happens? Because, you know, the idea of God's goodness gets put to the test during difficult times, doesn't it, church? That verse just is nestled down into Romans 8. If you've learned anything through this series, please know this. You can't just cherry pick it and pull it out and just slap it on your life with a broad stroke because it has context. When it's put to the test, what's the deal with this verse? When you get that call and the news is really bad, how is that good? When the job gets cut or that marriage fails, when the doctor says, I'm sorry, We've done all we can do, but now we just have to keep, just, just keep, keep them comfortable. Romans 8.28, well, you can think about that as God has somehow lied to us. That He's let us down. And some of you say, I'll never do that. But the reality is, until you've walked through the fire, you really don't know how strong your faith is. Never say Never. Because without a proper theology of what the Apostle Paul is actually teaching right here, the, the danger is this. We run the risk of questioning the nature of God. We don't understand the proper context of the verse. Logic would tell us that, that either God is good or He's not. That's what, you know, uh, that, that's what logic, the, the study of logic would tell us. It's Aristotle's law of non-contradiction. I mean, both things, both truths can't, can't be true. It can't be opposite. There has to be some one of those has to be wrong. So let's say it together. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8:28. So what in the world does that actually mean? Let's let's think about the the key words. 
We. We just said that. We. Who are the we? All, all things. What things? The good. What, what does that definite article, the, refer to? Those who love God. Well, what kind of love? Called. Who's doing the calling? Purpose. What kind of purpose? You see what I'm saying? Romans 8, y'all. Romans, Romans 8 is thick. We could preach an entire series on Romans 8. We could probably settle in, really, if, I, if we wanted to really get down in there, we could, we could preach a whole year through Romans 8. Guess what? We're not. But we could. It's meaty. And just as anything has a lot of meat and substance to it, in order to get the nourishment out of it, you have to get down in the good. And so we're going to settle in. We're going to get down into the good of Romans 8.28 this morning. So first thing on your notes is this. Answering the question. The question that we're trying to answer is this. I say it's kind of the big idea. Should a Christian expect God to eventually make our lives good? That, that's, that's, that's the question that I'm trying to answer. What is Romans 8.28 actually talking about? So the first thing that, that I want you to do is to, is to know this. The first thing is this. We have to know who the we know they are. I know that's a brain teaser or tongue twister. But I want you to think about that. I, want you, I, I worded that on purpose. We, as in us collectively here this morning, we have to know who the we of the text know they are. So we're putting ourselves back into the text because the text says we know. So who are the we? How do we know what they know? Because obviously it's a reminder. We see that in, in verse 28. He wants to read that. Read that again. Romans 8, 28, it starts off by saying that. It says, we know. So when you're doing your Bible reading and your Bible studying, put yourself in those sentences, we. Who in the world is we? Well, Paul is writing to a specific group of people. And he uses words like we. He uses words like us. Which lets us know here in 2021... That he's not talking to just general population. This ain't a y'all. This is a specific we. Romans 8.28 is a verse not for the general population of Rome. It's only for a very select group. And the select group that he's talking about are Christ followers. Specifically those Christ followers in Rome. And that's important because the people living in Rome in the first century... They represented so many different cultures of the empire. It was like a melting pot. It was like New York City. I had a chance to go to New York City um, on 9-11. Actually, we were there 9-24, a couple of weeks after the towers fell. Ground Zero was still smoldering. We had a chance to go up there, work with the Red Cross, and serve, serve some food and do some ministry with my cousin, who's from South Georgia, and she is very white and she is very blonde. We were different. I always thought that, that New York was this melting pot, and it was. But it was a melting pot from all over the world except for central Georgia. 
But as we looked around, we're like, man, there are so many different people melted right here. Rome was like that. It was a melting pot. And so the churches that were in Rome at this time, they, they, are, they were not planted by Paul as the other churches that we see in the prison epistles like Philippians and Ephesians and Philemon and Colossians. Because these churches, if you go back to Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached at Pentecost in Jerusalem, the Bible says that there were Jews and Gentiles from all over that came into the city. What is believed is these Christians that went and planted this church, these churches around Rome were those Jews and Gentiles that accepted Christ on the day of Pentecost. And guess what? They went back home. Imagine that. Somebody accepts Christ. And they go over off Dixie Road and they start a church in their neighborhood. Wow! Unbelievable. Somebody here, you know, that has family in town, they accept Christ and they go back to Tallahassee and they plant a church. That's kind of what was going on right here. They were likely converted under the preaching of Peter. So verse 26 is something I want you to look at in your Bibles. You have your hard copy. Because verse 26 has, uh, has some wording that, that I really uh, kind of want to flush out just for a minute. Verse 26 is a bridge verse. Let me read verse 26 as, as we follow along. I'm reading out of the CSB. Verse 26 says this. In the same way. In the same way. Don't skip that. Because it's a bridge verse. In the same way. So what that tells us is something is happening again. For example, in the same way, we will also beat Alabama in the next couple of weeks. Y'all with me? Okay, I have to bleed red and black. They have a lot of my money. I have no choice. In the same way, which means it's a repeat, it's a replay, it's a reminder. It's like a heavenly sticky note that, that Paul is using. So in what same way? Well, guess what? We need to kind of go above verse 26. I want to read verse 20 and 21 to you. Of Romans 8. It says this. <clears throat> For the creation was subjected to futility. Maybe your translation says frustration. Kind of the same idea. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In the hope... That the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay and to the glorious freedom of God's children. That's special, but it's, it's worded differently. We don't go around talking like that. Our, our, our English translators try to do the very best job they could, but the Bible was not written in English. It was written in Hebrew and Greek and a little bit of Aramaic. So our, it's important the translation that you use because it gives you the original context as best they can. But what we can see right here is in the same way something else is going on. In the same way that creation longs for Jesus to assume full responsibility. In the same way people who were once orphans in, in this broken world system that I like to call the Department of Sin and Separation Services. In the same way that creation is frustrated, we as believers are also frustrated and we also long 
for Christ to take us home in full peace and security. Amen? That, that's, that's what Paul is trying to remind them here. In the original readers, they would get what a huge deal this is because of the word kinship. Kinship is just another word for family. Our idea of family here in America is, is oftentimes completely opposite of the idea of family in other parts of the world, especially in biblical culture. Because kinship was everything in the Bible. There's a reason why God labeled himself as the, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. But Jacob wasn't the firstborn. Who was it? It was Esau. So you've got, you got a family dynamic going there. It, it, it represents full responsibility. And if you didn't have lineage, you had no identity. Y'all with me? If you didn't have a family, you had nothing. Without an identity, you had no hope for the future because there was no one to, to claim you. There was nobody to take responsibility for you. See, on my driver's license, I've got my name, first name, middle name, last name, and my address. It's my identity. It's what gives me security. But for us as Americans, we think that's enough. We go through a license check, which are very rare, but I actually went through one the other day. They wanted my license. What they wanted to know was they were looking for security in my identity. They wanted to make sure that I was who my identification said I was. It tells, our ID in America tells us who we are. And if you think about it, that means we are our greatest identifier. Like we, did, we decide... We decide who we are. And that is such a Western idea. We think it's enough. I polled some of you this week. I said, hey, if you were having to flee from your house, let's say it was on fire, and you had to take one material item, what would it be? And I got a couple of texts. People came through. And this is what I got. I'm not judging you but I kind of am. But I'm not. Because we live in America, it's a Western idea. I get it. I would, I would respond the same way too. Here's what I got. One said their phone. Why? Because it has all of their, their pictures and all their passwords. That is legit, right? I mean, some of us, if we lost our phone, we're like, what in the world? What are we going to do now? Another said their purse. A lady said their purse because what's inside of a mom's purse can change the world. So if you've got to run for your life, you need everything in that purse. I mean, it's like a hospital and it's also, you know, you know self-defense. You need your purse. One said a Harley. One said their medication. Two said their Bible. And I found that interesting because what it does is it shows what provides security for somebody that has a westernized individualist culture mentality compared to Middle Eastern culture which the Bible came from. If we're going to view God's Word, we have to view it through Middle Eastern eyes in order to apply it in a westernized culture if you really want to get it. Because in the Bible, identity and security and hope is not found in a personal identification. It's not found in a purse. It's not found in any materialistic type thing. 
Hope and security in the Bible is found exclusively, y'all catch this, in being a part of a family. That's the theme you see. Blood always thicker than what, church? Water. And, and, and you get that when you, when you read God's Word. Because this, what, what made you somebody biblically was not who you were, but whose you were. I heard a story of a Middle Eastern refugee that fled her home. And when she arrived to a city of refuge, she knew that she could only take one item from her home. She didn't take a phone. She didn't take a, a, a bike. She didn't take medication. She didn't take her purse. What she took was the only copy of her family's family tree that went back thousands of years, just four generations from Abraham. That's what she went and got. We would never do that. We might run in and try to grab a photo album. Kind of the same idea. But if you had a little family tree tucked in your drawer and your house was on fire and you were running for your life and you only could take one thing... Who in here would run into that drawer and try to find that family tree? We wouldn't do that. But this lady did that because who she had connection to was more important than what she was currently facing. Because her identity was in kinship. It was in who she was and whose she was. And all that leads up to Romans 8.28. Because what Paul is saying is Christians have been adopted as children of God. We're a part of a family tree. We are children of God because we have been adopted through Christ. And so if you have not repented and you have not been baptized, you can't claim being a child of God because you haven't been adopted. You're still an orphan. Biblically. Now you are God's creation. But you don't, have, you don't have the security and you don't have the full weight of responsibility of God's hand over you because you are not a child. Because you haven't been accepted. The adoption hasn't been final. If you've ever adopted, you understand this concept. We sing a song all the time that has something to do with this. Um, ask Gail if she would sing a verse and... Think about this idea of adoption. Oh, he's mine. Yes, he's mine. Say, when we sing that, y'all, when we sing that, and we do, we do, we blast it from this stage. Because it's an offering back to our, our, Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. Because through Him, we have been adopt, adopted. I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. It's an idea of being adopted. Oh, He's mine. There is a new name written down in glory and it's mine. Oh, it's mine. Because of the blood of Christ, we've been adopted. And so Paul was reminding them who they knew they were. And all of that came out of just that one word, we. We know. In the same way we know. So the question for us this morning 
is do you know? Have you been adopted? Have you allowed the blood of Christ to graft you into the family of God? If not, if you haven't repent and proven that repentance by being baptized, which is a visible symbol of what's going on inside, it's how you put that faith into action. If you have not, then you're not a child of God. You're an orphan. You might know about Him, but you don't have His security blanket over you. It's, there's no kinship. Well, then Paul goes on. Remember, we're trying to answer the question, should Christians expect God to make our lives good? We're answering that question. We have to know who we are. The second thing is this. We have to know what the we know is coming. We have to know what the we, we've already identified what the we are, believers. We have to know what they knew was coming. Let's go, go back to verse 28. Let's read it together again, church. Romans 8, 28. Here we go. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. Romans 8, 28. We have to know what the, what the we knew was coming. And you get this. It might be hard to wrap your head around that wording, but I know that you get it. You get it because we live it. Because when you're confident in what you know, it changes the way you act. I mean, think about this. You can walk into a high school on any test day, and you can, you can see this come to life. You can see who has studied and who is prepared and who is not. Because when you're confident in something, it changes the way you act. If you are prepared for that test, you know that student's prepared. That the desk is clear. They're sitting all confident. Don't you just can't stand those people? They're sitting up like, yeah, I, know, I got this. Their, their, their desk is clear. They have that number two pencil that's sharp and crisp. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if number two pencils are so good, why aren't they called number one pencils? Anyway. But the person that is not prepared, this would be me in, in, in middle school, high school. I would be cramming through those note cards praying like crazy. You're right. You're trying to get everything you can so you can intellectually regurgitate it back on the paper so you can forget it and go to lunch. You know, you're like, just hang on there until I get it. Hurry up. Give me the test but I, before I forget the equation. You've been there. Because when you're prepared, it changes things. It changes the way you act. And so let's look at verse 22 and 23 with that idea in mind. Starting in verse 20. Let's see, it's 23? Yeah, let's, let's 22. Here it is. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as firstfruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So if we go back to verse 22, verse 22, I mean, I mean, verse 20 says, For the creation 
was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. But in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay and to the glorious freedom of God's children. What Paul is explaining to us right here is this. That the natural world, it groans and it longs for a future inheritance that is coming its way through us when God makes all things, all things new. If you think about what's the DNA of a believer, it's this. It is representation by reconciliation. Which means we are called, if you are a Jesus follower, we're called to make things right. Because that's the DNA of our Father. It's part of our lineage. We are to make things right. That's who our Father is. He calls Himself Jehovah Rapha. Healer. Making all things right. And one day He will complete our adoption by redeeming our broken bodies. Amen? Man, we need it. You get up in the morning, you're like, my goodness, why, why, why does my body hurt in ways it didn't hurt yesterday and when I did nothing? It hurts from doing nothing. It's evidence that our bodies are frustrated. But there's a better day coming. See, once believers are ruling as co-heirs with Jesus, what the Scripture's saying is the earth will again have order and perfection just like it was supposed to be all along. And it's hard for us to understand that because all we see is frustration. But Paul is reminding these people there's a hope of inheritance coming. And one day our bodies will be delivered from the result of the fall. To God be the glory. And we will be reunited with our souls, secure again for all of creation. We won't lose our intended identity. But in the same way, that nature is frustrated by the current condition. And we know nature is frustrated. You can see it. It's that dying tree in your backyard. It's that sick African elephant that you see on TV. It's that scared little rabbit. It's that eroding mountainside. Sin is a big deal, y'all. A church that's lost repentance has lost it all. Sin is a big deal. It breaks everything and we see it from a rabbit to a tree to our own bodies and, he, and what Paul is saying is Christ I mean Christians we also groan for the day that Jesus will set all things right again what he's saying is believers and I'm saying this to you church it's not always going to be like this Pastor Dom hit the nail on the head the back of the book tells us there's a new name written down in glory and it's coming our way there is something new that is promised to us that's coming our way. Let me illustrate it like this. One day this dad took his son on the roof because the roof was leaking. And when they get up there with a the hammer, they noticed that some bats had built some, some nest in the chimney. And so as they were looking over trying to scare the bats, the son drop, drops the hammer down the chimney and it spooks the dog who was asleep next to the fireplace. Well, the dog knocks, run, run, runs into a table that knocks over a lamp that catches fire on the curtains that spreads into the kitchen. Mom gets a fire extinguisher and she runs in there and she just, she just sweeps, 
sweeps the kitchen with a fire extinguisher, and it short-circuit the oven, the fridge, the dishwasher, and the microwave. All this happened in, in a matter of moments. So what did the dad do? He loaded up the whole family, and they just had the best time, and they went out to eat. You're like, what? Why would he do that? I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't he be upset? You would think you'd be angry and hopeless, right? You'd think you'd be on, be on, you know, be on the phone with, 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 a, with an insurance agent. Immediately. I need to try to fix this myself. Why are you out at dinner? Well, here's why. That morning, the dad had gotten some information that changed his perspective. That morning, he opened his inbox and he had an email from a lawyer's office saying that his neighbor, very rich neighbor, had listed him as the sole beneficiary of his estate. Changes perspective, doesn't it? See, there was no, there was no timetable on when the estate would be settled, but this dad had a 100% confidence that what was promised was more powerful than his current groanings. He had an inheritance coming. So with the fire raging and the roof leaking and the bats flying, he went to dinner because he had confidence in the inheritance. That, that's what Paul is trying to get these people to understand. And that's what we have to understand. Look at verse 24. 24 through 27 says this. Now in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Check the inbox. We have an inheritance coming, church. Verse 26, In this same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We have an inheritance coming. We don't know what's going to happen. And we have a tendency to be really anxious about an all the appliances have short-circuited. And we don't know really what to do, what to say, what to feel. But we have a hope in glory that we have an inheritance coming. And God's Word promises that the Spirit will pray on our behalf when we don't have the strength to do it ourselves. That's the promise. Hey, this is on your outline. Y'all write this down. Perfect harmony has always been the will of God and it will be again one day soon. Perfect harmony will always be the will of God and will be again one day soon. I mean, hopefully you can agree with me. We often cannot make sense of what's going on day to day, can we? I just don't understand this. And that leads us to groan because of our human limitations. We're, we're limited in it. But there's one huge promise that I want you to cling to of hope. And it's this. Life here on earth is just getting us ready for the inheritance. Woo! That's it. 
It's getting ready for inheritance. The inheritance of restoration guaranteed with Christ as the estate is being settled. I know things seem chaotic right now, but I'm telling you, God is settling the estate. And we're a part of that. The Spirit of God, while the estate is being settled, is working on our behalf so that we can have confidence to eagerly wait and patient, with patience in unknown territory. It's hard to wait when you don't know what's going on. But if you know what's coming, you can sit there and just enjoy the wait, right? See, we might not understand the what and the why now, but we can know for later. That's what it means to be adopted. That's the beautiful promise of being a Christ follower, that this is not our home. We're just passing through on toward a future inheritance. And while we do it, God's going to give us the strength to be shaped and have hope in Him. So that takes us to Romans 8, 28, which is the third thing that Paul wanted these Romans to know, Roman believers, and it's this. We have to know what the we know is happening. The we know. I know it sounds like a Wii character, but it's not. It has nothing to do with Mario Kart. You can't select a we know. The we know is something that we already know because of the first two points. It's the believers who are in Rome looking toward a future inheritance. They know what's coming. They know who they are. They know what's coming. And so because of those two things, they know what is happening in their present reality. Y'all with me? Say I am. This is it. Verse 28 and 29. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What we see right here is God's sovereign plan in our lives through that of Jesus Christ. That's what was predetermined. What was predetermined is that all people will be conformed to the image of the Son to which through the Son all things will be made new. So for us, we, God is moving everything toward newness. Even though sometimes it doesn't look like it. Man, I hope that comforts your heart this morning. God is moving things toward newness. And all things will one day be made right again. We see it in Revelation. It's right here. I think there's a reason when the early church canonized the Bible, Romans so close to the end of Revelation. Because it explains the future inheritance that's coming. But sometimes it doesn't feel like it. I get it. Because we're caught in the in-between. Y'all with me? We're caught between the fall and the estate being settled. We're right here. What do we do while we're right here? We groan for it. We, we Y'all, is anybody in here just homesick? You've never been more homesick than now. Like the more time I spend in God's Word, the more I become homesick. Because I really believe that part of all of us as, as who we are has a piece of the garden that was lost. Like all of us longs for that garden. 
So we're homesick. The more we think about what's coming, the more we think about our inheritance, the more you should long for home. Some people don't long for heaven because they like being right here. And that's going to be a natural overflow. I get it. We're caught in the middle. Bad things happen. Tragedy strikes. Because we're caught in the middle of the fall and the estate being settled. And this is where we can do a better job as a first century, I mean, uh, as a 21st century church. Christianity is not a ticket to the easy street. If it were, believe me, everybody would be piling on. And a lot of people are because proper, because the word, the word's not being preached correctly. So people are buying into something. It's a false bill of goods. They're being sold this. Hey, if you would just, if you would just say these words, you can get a new miracle and a new breakthrough. Word of faith. Now, this is God's faithfulness during uncertain times that He is comforting us in between the fall and the estate being settled. It's all about Him. The Bible is, is so much more than God's Word for us. It is God's story of Him redeeming the world and we're just playing a part of that. Y'all, that ain't about us. God is restoring all things through us. Creation is waiting for our bodies to be renewed, Paul says, so that they can be renewed. The next time you're carving in that tree, it's really looking at you like, I'm coming for you. As soon as you get your new body, it is on. Because it will also be made new. We get a front row seat to the show of redemption. That ought to fill this place up. It should. It really should. But it won't. Unfortunately. Because of the deception that's out there. Exactly what Paul told Timothy. People would rather hear what feels good than what feels right. And so they will live in the in-between confused, having no idea that there's a future inheritance coming and the estate is about to be settled. What happens when the lawyer settles the estate? It's done. There will come a moment when the door is shut and we no longer have the opportunity to be sons and daughters of the king. You realize that? Noah built the ark, right? And then the Lord, the scripture says, then the Lord shut the door. Don't miss it. Don't miss the door. Because what's happening is the idea of good is thought of as only what makes us feel fuzzy and comfortable. That's the life that... We just want to live the good life. We want, to, we want to build a kingdom of our own so we can put our feet up. That's not what good is talking about. But when people think that and things get hard and painful... What people start saying is, oh, God must not be good. Because we define God's goodness on our own terms. We, we apply that same logic to God, don't we? You know, if life, if life is good, God must be good. If life doesn't feel good, God must be bad. Y'all with me? People live life like that. People have faith like that. But they don't really believe that. If you think about your day-to-day Activity. I think a, be- a better biblical way to understand good in this verse is like a workout. You go to a gym. You get on the treadmill. You get on the elliptical. You hit the free weights. You get the cables. 
You sweat. You moan. You, you're, 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 you're subjected to futility. Your lactic acid is building up in your biceps like they're going to explode. And you say, this is the dumbest thing in the world. Why did I even come over here? My legs feel like jello. My arms, I can't hardly walk to my car. And you get out in the car and you sit down and you say this, man, that was a good workout. Right? What we're saying right there is what makes it good is the pain of the growth of the process. That makes it good. That was a good workout. That's what Paul is saying. He's like, for we know that all things are moving toward progress and growth and there's going to be pain in the in-between, but it is going to be for our good. In the end, God is more than pleasure. It's progress toward a goal. That, that's, what, that's what the text is telling us. And this is on your notes. To run away or to quit on progress because of struggle, y'all, is to abandon the biblical idea of goodness. But man, as a pastor, I see it. People face a, face a bump in the night in their life and they scatter. They run from progress. Because they don't like the squeeze. They don't, they don't like the pressure that life is, is putting on us. Because we're easily confused about what the biblical idea of goodness really is. So God is working out His plan of His glory through this life. That's what makes what we go through good. He's getting ready to settle the estate. And so people say this, they, they say, well, if God is so good, why have, has life been bad for so long? Snap out of that. Because that's not what biblical goodness is. You know, why doesn't God change my situation? I thought the Bible says that God would make bad stuff to turn out good. That's not what the Bible says. I mean, he kind of uses those words, but what it means is this. It's not on our terms for our good. It's on his terms for the fulfillment of his plan. It ain't about us. It's about his glory. That ought to fill this place up. But it doesn't because there's not a proper understanding of goodness. What Paul is trying to drive into the believers here is, is that the good that Paul is talking about is the ultimate good for which God is weaving and working all things together in making us catch a church more like Jesus. That's the point. The good. We know that God causes all things to work for the good. That's a definitive article. It, it's, it's the, there is a the. What is the? The is making us more like Jesus. And some of us need far more chiseling than others. Amen? You know, sometimes you can, you know, you can use the fine grit sandpaper, but some of us need that old heavy stuff to make us spiritually smooth. The proper use of the popular verse means this. That we who know who we are and what we have coming are being made ready for our inheritance by conforming us to the image of His Son. 
I know this is not proper English, but what could be gooder than that? <laughs> that's, that's good. That, that we are being made ready for our inheritance by conforming us to the image of the Son. You know what? Sometimes you have to tear down the old house to get ready for the new stuff. Sometimes you have to remodel. Sometimes you have to clear the land, uproot the stumps, find the rocks, Move the trash out of the way because something better is coming. So why in the world when, when, we, when we feel like that things are being uprooted out of our own lives, that we're being shaped and sanded and chiseled, that we run from God's goodness? That's foolish, church. That's the moment where we lean in and say, I've got an inheritance coming. You're getting ready to settle the estate. Shape me, Lord. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to change so that I can see you in full glory? Romans 12 comes after Romans 8, just in case you were wondering. But it all ties together. Romans 12 says this, Therefore, I think sometimes therefore you should go back to Romans 8, 28. Because that's before. Therefore, brothers and sisters, there's the we. In view of the mercies of God, what view what mercies? The fact that there's an estate about to be settled. I urge you, what do I do that there's an estate being settled? I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Activity never equals godliness. Never. You can be busy as a bee in church, but you can be lost as a ball in high weeds because busyness never translates to godliness. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So as God is shaping us, we need to be aware of where He's putting the chisel and we need to let Him work. This is on your notes. This might be just for you this morning. God's not going to change your situation tomorrow until you're more like Jesus today. That'll preach right there. I'm glad I'm here to hear it. Because people think that. People are constantly looking for tomorrow, but God's working right here today. This means believers, we ought to put away that superficial, fleshly definition of what good is in 2021. And we ought to go to that drawer and we ought to hold on to that family tree and we ought to keep it close to our hearts and we ought to move forward knowing that our identity is not in who we are, but who we are in Christ. It's in whose we are. We've got to trade, y'all, we've got to trade the biblical definition of good. It's time to trade it in. You know right now, if you sign up with T-Mobile, you can sign up, you can give up your 11 and 12 for a new 13. Really? What, what, I mean, people will be flocking to trade it in. What I'm saying is, why are we so fast to trade in things that only apply to this earth in this moment and we don't want to trade things in that actually has an eternal impact? We don't want to do that sort of thing. And it's in this sense that all things that happen in your life are designed for this purpose. The ultimate good of bringing glory to God. Advancing His kingdom purposes. Making us more holy. Bringing us into humility. Developing our patience and cultivating our trust in God. Those are good things. 
gets gooder and gooder. The goodness of God. And in that, we can know that God uses all things for good because He is good. To grow us, to remake us back into the intended purpose of the image bearers until the day that He calls us into eternity. That's what it means that God's working all things good. Let me close with this story. This, is, this happened a little over 50 years ago. <clears throat> Five missionaries from the United States traveled to the interior of Ecuador to bring the gospel to a very dangerous tribe of Indians. These missionaries went to the Auca Indians. These five guys can't wait to meet them in heaven. Nate Elliott, I'm sorry, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, and Peter Fleming. They had made some contact <clears throat> with these Auka Indians with a plane, dropping things down in a basket, trying to build a relationship. They finally got the courage and thought now was the time to land that plane on the beaches of the river and try to make contact, and they did. There was a major misunderstanding of some sort. And right there on that beach, ten of those natives killed all five of those missionaries with a spear and machetes. Where's the good in that? How can, that, how can God be good? These men had families. Well, years later, Elizabeth Elliot and the sister of Nate, Saint, they pressed on. And through a young girl named Dayuma, who had run away from the tribe as a child, they began to learn the language. And they, they used this little girl and they went back into that culture and they used that language. And they lived with those Indians. And one of the people that, that Elizabeth Elliot led to Jesus was the man that put a spear in her husband. Mm. This is what it means when God causes all things to work for good. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> I told y'all Romans 8 was thick. <clears throat> That's what it means when God says He causes all things to work for His glory. Man, God's faithful. And so... <clears throat> Only God could see the big picture. And so in our breaking, He gets the glory. Amen? And in our remaking, He gets the glory. And in our waiting, He gets the glory. And in our healing, He gets the glory. And so the question that I started with was this. Should a Christian expect to eventually...
for, for God to eventually make things for our good? The answer is no. We should expect God to make it good for His glory. And what we have to do is we have to decide if we want our lives to be more like Jesus, knowing that an inheritance in the state is being settled. And if God causes us to land our planes on a beach, we'll be willing to do it. That ought to fill this place up. We have that hope. But if you don't have that hope, you're not a child of the king. And you don't want to miss the moment that God closes the door. Amen? Man, I see Larry Rodriguez sitting there. He didn't miss that moment. He baptized a couple weeks ago. He felt the door was being closed. And he can smile because you have... The estate is being settled. Amen? And you're, you're, you're listed as a beneficiary. Because you have the blood of Jesus. Let's, let's stand together, church. Just bow your head just for a moment. Um, Darren's going to play a little bit. I just want you to sit in this a second. I want you to sit in this. All things work to, together. 21st century Americanized version, which is so much further than off base of what it should really be. I know you're hurting some of you. I know that you're caught in the in-between. Between the fall of the garden and between the settle of the estate. And there are moments where you just can't see good coming from it. But I'm here to tell you, God is working to glorify Himself through this situation. What we have to do is we have to be willing to be vessels, to be chiseled. as he paints his story with our lives. I just have a burden this morning. I don't want to miss an opportunity for someone that's not a believer to become a believer. If you're in here this morning and you're doubting the estate that's going to be settled and, and you're, you're not sure that you're a child of God, maybe you have head knowledge, but you've never accepted the kinship of the Redeemer of creation. You were wandering aimlessly on your own as an orphan. But you want to come home this morning. And you want to settle it once and for all. You say, Pastor, you pray for me. I need Jesus as my Savior this morning. This message was for me. I need the strength to take a bold step. Anybody like that this morning? Nobody looking around, church. This is a moment of spiritual warfare, no doubt. I just invite you man, woman, boy, girl, just lift your hands up where I can pray for you. Yeah, I need Jesus, Pastor. I'm tired of fighting with this. I'm tired of feeling like an orphan. I'm ready to come home. Repent and be baptized. Know where my eternity lies for sure. I'm tired of it, Pastor. You pray for me. Just raise your hand, anybody? Be the biggest, boldest move you've ever made. Praying church.
If you're thinking, is he talking to me? I probably am. It's not me. It's the Spirit of the Holy God that groans for you what the Scripture says. Let me ask you this, church. If you're struggling in the in-between in this moment, just lift your hand where I can pray for you. Say, I know where my inheritance lies. I know where I stand with the Lord. But I need something to change. I need to see God work in a situation. I need to know that it's shaping me for His glory, not for just what makes me feel good because right now I don't feel too good. Anybody? all around. See those hands from left to right. Let's pray together, church. Father, we are grateful this morning. God, I pray that while the message may be closed, while the notes may be completed and your word is shut, Lord, that you would not close the hearts of the listeners. That there would be some doers of the word in here, Lord. God, if there's someone that has not raised their hand but needs to surrender to you the lordship of the inheritance that is to come, as you're making all things new. God, if there's someone that needs to repent and be baptized, God, you would give them the courage of the conviction to handle rightly your son and his blood over their lives. God, help them to step out. Take that bold move. God, for that man, woman, and boy, and girl that's caught in the in-between, God, I pray that this will be a moment that they would lay those burdens down. You would take those things, as your word says, through your Holy Spirit, straight to the throne. And you would, inter you would intercede on our behalf. Uh, you, would, you would translate. You would heavenly translate the groanings of our heart as we lay our lives in submission. God, you are faithful and you are good. God, we pray that you fill this place up so that people may hear and respond and go out into the highways and the hedges seeking that which you were wanting to make new through the ministry of reconciliation. God, use us to fix those broken things so that you can get the glory. God, we pray this in the name of the Messiah to come. Yeshua HaMashua. We pray this in Jesus' name. We thank you for listening. If you made a decision for Christ or need prayer, please shoot us a message on Facebook at Church213 or an email at office at church213.com or give us a call at 770-385-6304. Have a blessed day.